All right. Well, welcome to episode five of the Diaries of a Black Girl in Foster Care podcast. We are so excited to be joining with you all from different states um, and bringing our own perspectives on today's topic, um, which is Pride LGBTQ plus A month and Juneteenth. And we definitely want to highlight that even if you don't identify as a woman, a girl, or female, um, that this is still a space for you. And, you know, really tune into the conversation and know that you are safe and validated in this space. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm definitely feeling extra gay this month. I don't know about you all, but it is just a really good time um, of month. Uh, as Angela mentioned, that it's Pride Month and it's uh, Juneteenth. My name is Amani Myers, and I'm also going to be moderating the conversation with Anhala, and I'm going to allow everyone else to introduce themselves. So, um, Tasha, would you like to go first? Sorry, I was muted. Hi, everybody. I am Tasha Robertson-Wing, and I have, go by she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm currently in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm just happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. Hello, everyone. I'm Alexandria Ware, um, and my pronouns are she, her, and I am in Wichita, Kansas. And I'm going to turn it back over to Amani so she can introduce our guest. Yeah, I'd like to introduce our special guest, Courtney. Um, Courtney, if you'd like to share a little bit about yourself, uh, feel free to do so. I know that you're in Wichita, Kansas, but um, there's so much to you, and I'd love to sort of pass the floor over to you so that you can sort of share about who you are with our community. Yeah, thank you. So as Amani said, I am Courtney Price Stukes. I am currently residing in Wichita, Kansas. I serve as an admissions representative at Wichita State University, but outside of that, I have the privilege of serving as Miss Sedgwick County representing Kansas. And I use my social impact initiative, Aging Out to Aging Forward, Fostering the Future, to advocate for foster youth, specifically those that age out of the system. There's about 20,000, I believe is the number that age out every year. So I do that through going to talk to legislators. I do that through using my own story of being in the foster care system and just educating people about the resources that are right here in the state of Kansas and nationwide. Hey. Yes, thank you. We're so glad that yeah. you're here. Thank you for joining us. And I did not introduce myself. So my name is Anila Quijada Banks, um, and I'm a transformational speaker, award-winning author of the Black Foster Youth Handbook, and a certified holistic health coach. I am so excited um, that we have you here, Courtney, to dive into the conversation. But before we do, we do want to kind of create some perspective here on what are these terms, Juneteenth, um, Pride Month. We know that last year, Juneteenth was just um, really signed as a federal holiday, which is insane to really think about that it's been um, so long. And just last year, that became a federal rec federally recognized holiday. So Juneteenth is a federal holiday now in the United States, um, commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. Juneteenth marks the anniversary of the commencement of General Order Number no. 3 by Union Army General Gordon Granger on June 19, 1865, proclaiming freedom 
for enslaved people in Texas. So shout out to Texas and shout out to Juneteenth, which was this year. And that really brings the question for each and every one of us, which I recognize is, um, again, a pretty new concept that has been federally recognized. Um, what does Juneteenth mean to you? I'll answer first so everybody can get their thoughts. <laughs> for me, you know, I think I first started hearing about Juneteenth um, in high school, but it wasn't recognized as like Juneteenth. Um, it was just kind of shared of what that meant. And then a little bit in college and maybe like 2020 was when like I saw it more publicized on social media and it made me pay attention to it more. And I think that for me, Juneteenth represents a lot of different aspects. I talk a lot about in my work about this gatekeeping of humanity. And, you know, for a long time, there was only one version of what being human or even a good person even looked like or felt like. Or, um, And so for me, it's a lot of that process of what does my blackness look like for me? And also like, what does freedom look like to me as, as a black person, a part of this community? Um, as far as how it's relevant today and that historical aspect and how we see it in our communities today. So I think very, I'm very much still figuring out like what Juneteenth means for me and in the grand, the grand scheme of the world. Um, and yeah, so I'll pass it over to Amani to hear from her. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so I actually had the opportunity to go to Galveston, Texas uh, for Juneteenth this past month, uh, which is where uh, Juneteenth originated from. And um, I would say that it wasn't as lively as I expected, but one of the things that it reminded me of is sort of like this collectiveness that Black people have. And when we come together, doesn't matter how many of us, um, it's just an amazing time. And so um, for me, it's about the collectivity. It's about being able to come together and celebrate where we've come from. Uh, where we're at and where we're going. And, um, you know, it's also about, you know, being able to cook out, listen to music and just really enjoy yourselves. And so being able to go with uh, two people that um, I had connected with a couple years ago, we hadn't seen each other since the pandemic. So being able to go together and to celebrate that momentous occasion um, was really awesome, I would say. And I think that, you know, coming from, I'm originally from Boston. So uh, coming from Boston, it wasn't something that was um, historically celebrated. Um, and so Galveston, it was my first time, you know, ever being um, in Galveston and being able to um, just explore and to learn the history of it. Um, it was just really amazing. And so for me, it's about collectivity. It's about uh, gathering together um, with family, with friends, with community, and um, just together being able to still celebrate um, our liberation and our continued liberation because um, you know for so many of us we are like free-ish and we want to become fully free and so for me it's about that continual fight that we have to have on a daily basis through policy through legislation um, through uh, movement building and um, all of that stuff so that was sort of my experience and I was really glad that I got to go uh, to the birthplace of that experience. And I'm gonna pass it off to Courtney. Yeah, so I have a 
completely agree with both of you. Like Anala said, I really didn't know much about it until 2020. And that's kind of sad to say, because while it is just now being recognized as a national holiday, it's been around. It's not something that's new, but as someone who grew up in a predominantly white area, predominantly white schools, I wasn't taught about any of that, right? So when I finally learned about it, it was so beautiful to see that culture, like Amani was saying, and just gather with people that know my experiences and I don't have to explain anything to them. It's just, you get together, you just know, right? Like you don't have to speak about anything. You can just celebrate together. And it's just like this freeing moment to gather together and just be with people that understand you, right? And understand the struggles that you go through on a daily basis as someone who is black. Because we do go through things mentally, emotionally, whether that's seen by everyone else, it's this mental struggle that we go through. So to have that moment and that space to just celebrate is something that's huge. And I'm finally, I'm just excited that's finally getting that recognition that it should have had a long time ago. And then I guess I'll pass it to Alexandria. Thanks, Courtney. Um, I'm a shout out Wichita, Kansas, because we've been doing stuff for Juneteenth since I was a wee bitty little lad uh, walking in the parades, just having fun. This year, we just kicked it. Um, we had our first annual gospel fest, and it was just nice, like nice for us to just be a community here in Wichita. So I'll say that Juneteenth is something I've always known, um, especially being here from Wichita. It's something we do and we do very well. Um, and I love the people who put it on. Shout out to them. It's an amazing committee. Um, and we just have fun. I mean, we did a gospel fest. We did a barbecue cook-off. We did recognizing fathers on Father's Day because for the first time since I've been alive and I can remember, um, Father's Day fell on Juneteenth. So we actually got to recognize our Black fathers, um, which sometimes, as we all know, people love to say Black men ain't in their kid's life. But you know what? That's a conversation for a different day. I'm not going to dive into that today. Um, but it's it's amazing even here in wichita we have a miss juneteenth pageant you know so we it's it's amazing to see that and be able to understand that like this is something that i grew up watching i grew up doing me and my brother always talk about how we were in the parade you know going to watch the parade um and just understanding like what it means and to accept our blackness because even though we all black on here, we all different versions of being black. We all have different versions of understanding Juneteenth and celebrating Juneteenth. So um, yeah, I'm gonna pass it over to Tasha. I'm just gonna keep it real simple, but first I wanna thank you, Ahala, for um, asking that question. Cause even though we're a podcast that celebrates blackness and focuses on black girls and um, foster care, it's important to celebrate and um, uphold Juneteenth as it recognizes the liberation and freedom for Black people. And I think really, when I think about like how all this ties together, it just brings these different different aspects of liberation. But what I really wanted to add is like Juneteenth, it, to me, is a reminder that as Black people, as the Black diaspora, that at the end of the day, like we're people that are warriors, fighters, and we're going to be okay. And so I love the fact that we get to come together and celebrate Juneteenth as a reminder of what we've been through, but also where we're going. So to me, it's just another way to come together and celebrate as Black people. 
That is beautiful. And thank you all for sharing that. I did want to just also highlight that Alexandria shared so many ways. I always get questions on like, how do we celebrate Juneteenth? And I felt like Alexandria, you gave so a pageant. I mean, all these different ways that, you know, we can engage in the community to uplift Juneteenth um, and celebrate the freedom of our people. So um, thank you all for engaging in that question. And I'm going to pass it over to Amani. Yeah, and I was going to say, it sounds like we all going to Wichita next year for Juneteenth. Right. <laughs> that is fine with me. Come on. I'm I'm young Courtney will accept you guys too. We, we will take them all. Just, you know, come here. We love it. We love a good, good people. Awesome. And I think this sort of just transitions into our next question about what is Pride Month? And, um, you know, as you all know, Pride Month is from June 1st officially to June 30th, but we know that we celebrate it every day. Um, and so for all of us who identify as LGBTQ plus A, uh, we know that it's a, um, it's just sort of like a movement to celebrate our liberation and our freedom. And also it's sort of the, um, the original organizers chose uh, June to sort of uh, commemorate the Stonewall uprising that happened on actually June 28th, which was yesterday, 1969. And so um, as we think about sort of um, the diaspora even of the LGBTQ movement, I want to ask, what does Pride Month mean for you all? Um, I can go first. Um, so as I mentioned that, so I, um, for me, I came out, uh, wow. I won't say the number of years now, but it's been some years. And um, I remember first feeling as though that it was something I didn't want to do um, because I didn't understand why was it that straight people um, didn't have to come out. So why was it that I had to come out? Uh, but I recognized that there was freedom in me just coming out because I wanted uh, the people in my life, the people in my circle to sort of understand and to know um, who was it that I was embodying. And um, it was definitely a, a progression I, um, like I said, I mentioned that I grew up in Boston, but uh, I went to school in New York City for grad school. And I remember uh, feeling as though that I was going to intentionally come out in New York City and um, intentionally came out, went to the first Pride uh, Parade um, out in New York. And I remember when I first came out to my brother, I asked him, how did he know or how did he suspect that I was gay? He said that because he saw me at the Pride Festival. So I guess that's a place where people come out. And um, for me, it's been a moment of, um, just come into uh, a, an experience of self-love. Um, I actually came out officially on February 14th as a way to express my own self-love to myself. And um, I remember the day before that I was dating somebody at the time. And so I wanted to be a little creative with it because again, I was sort of like trying to protest the fact that I had to come out. And I remember posting a photo of us and I said, I'm ready for Valentine's Day. How about you? And I remember the overwhelming response that I got from people who were um, like, girl, we knew you were gay. We were waiting for you to come out. Um, I, I just got so many different responses. And um, in that, it made me feel comfortable to then post sort of like um, a letter uh, to myself and to the community to share with people that I was, you know, gay, free and open. And um, I would say that it hasn't been the quite easiest. But what I will say is that each day um, I love myself even more. Um, I feel liberated. I um, will say that um, pride here, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma now, um, you know, coming from California and New York and 
seeing how big their um, parades are, the festivities that happen. Being here in Tulsa, Oklahoma for the first year, I would say that it was very, very hot. Um, so that was um, a deterrence um, in terms of being able to really enjoy the pride festivities. But I really enjoyed being able to hang out with some friends, um, hanging out with people um, that I love, and um, just to mark our celebration and our liberation in a safe space um, together. And so I'm just happy that um, even though we have like, you know, like one day left, I'm gay every day. And so I live that out every day. Um, so yeah. And I don't want to out anybody, so anybody can choose to go and tell, say how, what pride means for you. Honestly, I'm happy that um, you, for what you just provided us with. When I like think of pride, I think of just a space, and even though this is just a month, this should be all year round, of just accepting people for who they are, loving on people for who they are. And it's like the first time throughout the year that I feel like we're just all human. Like, and just, I don't know, I, I appreciate Proud. I have fun a lot of times, but in the recent time, um, when I think of Pride, I think about like the sacrifices of black and brown um, trans women that we don't oftentimes highlight or celebrate. And so I've been really intentional with trying to just learn how I can be a, a better af advocate for trans women and uh, recognizing my privilege as a cis, um, cis woman and how I can show up in spaces. So I think Pride to some is like, you know, fun, but it also shows me or help makes me hold a mirror of what I can do better as a um, cis woman. I can go. Um, for me, pride feels like a big hug to my younger self. So I identify as queer, open. I, I love humans. Um, that's as simple as it is. And I've known that I was that way for a long time, but I didn't tell anyone. I just kept it very hidden because I grew up with this shame about it. Especially in my high school years, I went to a private Christian school. I was a small group leader, like very involved in church where a lot of people are Bible thumping that it's not okay to love someone of the same sex. That's, it's just not okay. You're gonna go to hell if you do that. And that was so ingrained in me that Anytime I even thought about anything like that, that overwhelming emotion of shame, that's heavy. It's very, very heavy to the point where, like, I didn't think that I would ever be safe or be open about who I truly was. I didn't think that I was ever going to tell anyone. I was just going to live with those feelings. But eventually in college, I, I did come out because someone just changed it all for me. And I remember the post that I made where I just let everyone know there's a graduation ceremony that we have at Wichita State University where you get rainbow cords. And I posted a picture with my rainbow cords and I just said, I'm black, I'm queer, I'm here. And that, that was it. That was as simple as it was just to show that there's a lot of statistics that are backed up that I shouldn't be where I am. Like not only as a black woman, but as a queer black woman, there's just so much that I go through um, on a daily basis. So to have this month, which should be, like you said, every single day of the year, because I'm queer every single day. Um, but to have this month where people are recognizing you and just really showing that support just feels like what I wish I had as a little kid or what I wish that I recognized was there as a little kid. I mean, I grew up in Missouri, so a red state, right? So it was just very, very hard. So to see that people's mind shifts are changing 
every single day is something that's beautiful because as humans, we have a right to feel safe wherever we are just for being on this earth. So yeah, I'm just very glad that people are continuing to shift their mindsets. Thank you, Amani, Courtney, and Tashe. I'm going to be very brief. Um, for me, it represents um, a space of healing and self-expression. Um, just looking at the things that I have studied around the historical context, even, you know, gay marriage um, and how beautiful that is to now be able to legally marry who, who you love and who you um, admire and want to spend the rest of your life with. Um, like I can't imagine my love of my life, my husband not being able to marry him because of X, Y, Z reasons. Um, so that's what really comes up for me and what I think is so beautiful about Pride Month. And having pride in that, right? And not just like um, the shame and the guilt, but the pride in your self-expression, who you love and who you are. Um, yeah, that's what I have. I agree with all you guys. And for me, pride is just very important. I have several non-binary friends and I see the struggles they go through every single day. Um, and for them to be able just to have one month to be with their community and everyone knows in that community that it's okay. It's safe and not too safe, but it's just safe. Um, and I just love seeing them be able to come alive and be who they are for the whole month, even though all my non-binary friends are who they are every day of the year. But it makes my heart happy as an ally to know that like people get to love who they want. They get to be who they want to be with. And have being an aunt and having nieces and nephews who are part of the LGBT community. Um, it's very different and it's very, it's very near and dear to my heart because I see I have nieces and nephews who care about, you know, those aspects. And especially this generation, they care about people being people. They care about people being humans and they care about love and light. Um, they don't want to spread negativity. And so pride always reminds me that, you know, it's the next generation taking over to showcase like it's okay to be who you are. It is okay, a hundred percent. And there's people who love you no matter what. There's people who are on this call, who are in our community, who you can come out to, and it is a safe space for you to come out. And so it always just it always makes my heart happy during Pride. Um, so we, even if you need to like know more stuff later on, we're gonna be sharing some resources. Um, from nationally, statewide, we found a whole bunch of different things um, for you to work with young people who are in care, who are part of the LGBT community, but also learn about it yourself and learn how you can become an ally, um, which we'll get in that later, but you can't just assign yourself the title ally. But again, I said, we'll get into that later. <laughs> yes, and th thank you for that, Alexandria, because that's going to segue beautifully into um, Amani, if you can share a little bit, maybe even define for those that are not um, as clear about what that means, LGBTQ plus A um, and other things that may be helpful as well for our audience to become familiar with some of these terms. Most definitely. And this is just a short list. Um, so there's so much information. I feel like the language is ever evolving. And so 
just want to be able to put that out there um, as I share this. So LGBTQ plus A and all, as it includes all others, um, is an abbreviation for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning. Uh, so these terms are used to describe a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. So when we talk about sex, um, it's the anatomical classification of people as male, female, or intersex, uh, usually assigned at birth. So when we talk about trans or transgender, um, it's an umbrella term referring to people with diverse gender identities and expressions that differ from stereotypical gender norms. It includes, but is not limited to, people who identify as transgender, trans women, meaning male to female, um, which is the MTF, trans man, female to male, transsexual, cross-dressers, or gender non-conforming, gender variant, or gender queer. We talk about gender non-conforming. Uh, we talk about individuals who do not follow gender stereotypes based on the sex they were assigned at birth and may or may not identify as trans. So I would say that I would be someone who identifies as gender non-conforming. What is the difference between gender expression and or gender orientation, um, gender identity slash sexual orientation? Uh, so gender identity is each person's internal um, individual experience of gender. It's a person's sense of being a woman, a man, both, neither, or anywhere along the gender spectrum. A person's gender identity may be the same as or different from the birth assigned um, sex. And gender expression is how a person publicly expresses or presents their gender. This can include behavior and outward appearance such as dress, hair, makeup, body language, and voice. A person's chosen name and pronoun are also common ways of expressing gender. Others perceive a person's gender through their attributes. So I would say that the way that I identify is as um, masculine androgynous, and I go by she, they, them. And um, so those are some of the things that, uh, some of the definitions, again, there's so much more information out there, um, and we want to be able to make sure that we encompass it all, but with the time that we have, we're not able to, so I know that um, there's going to be resources that will be put into the comment section so that you all can have. I'm going to turn it back over to Anila to get us uh, started off. Um, into our next section of the show. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, I know it's a very brief vocabulary because as you said, there's, there's several other words and aspects, but thank you for providing a bit of a foundation there. Um, let's get into our first question. So in the spirit of Juneteenth and Pride Month, what do you all think of the word liberation in relation to the way you express yourself, what does that really represent for you? And I'm not going to go first this time. <laughs> I'll pass it over to somebody else um, and circle back around. Should we let our guests go first? Yes. We're not to put you on the spot or anything, but. No, you're good. Uh, so for me, I, I mean, my car has the pride flag in it. My office at work has pride flag in it. I'm just very open about it. And the reason that I am so open about it and expressing myself in that way is to create a safe space for everyone else so they can see that. Because like I said, when I was younger, I didn't see a lot of that. So I want to make sure that I am that example for other people to say, you can be whoever you want to be. 
no matter what you look like, no matter what anyone tells you, because at the end of the day, you're, you're with yourself. So you want to make sure that you are the most comfortable version of yourself, the most authentic version of yourself. So I do that through the clothes I wear. Um, I'm not a big dress wearer. And I advocate for myself in pageantry that I don't want to wear dresses all the time because I feel like there's too feminine for me. Right. Mm. So that's just small ways that I do it to make sure that at the end of the day, I'm standing up for who I am. My Facebook profile picture for a long time was me just holding the pride flag out. And I got a lot of comments about that. But at the end of the day, you are showing so many people that it's okay to be you. It is okay to love who you love. It is okay to be a black woman, a black male in a world that tells you that it's not okay. It's, it's okay to be you. So I do that through just small things, wearing a pride flag pin on my blazers when I go out, just things like that that show people I'm not only in the community, but I'm here to talk to you if you need someone because you might not have that at home. Hmm. Thank you. Tashe. I would say like in terms of like, speaking of reflecting on like pride and Juneteenth and the liberation that comes for that, I would say over the last couple of years, we all heard me talk about grad school. <laughs> that has been a struggle. But prior to coming to um, grad school, I was in Washington, D.C., served on the Hill for a little bit, worked in like consultant firms. And my hair and um, was the biggest thing. Like I always wanted it to be presentable. But as I like get older, I feel so liberated through my hair, um, especially with having locks. Like you will have to, you know, get over that really quick. And I feel like it is a form of resistance and liberation for me to not be constrained to um, what seems professional or appropriate. So I would say definitely my hair, but also how I introduce myself. So when I first started out like working or whatever, my name is Tashe. And so some people can't pronounce it or I would just cut it short to Shay. So um, to show like how, you know, I express my freedom and liberation is it's through making people pronounce my name, say my whole name and wearing my hair in a style that I feel comfortable with and just accepting my blackness and not like one thing I really struggle with uh, sometimes is considering other people's feelings when it comes to me expressing my blackness. And so just realizing that I'm black no matter what. And if I say anything that offends them, that's on them. Like I just can't show up any other way, but who I am. So. Thank you so much, Tashe. Alexandria, do you feel comfortable sharing next? Yeah, um, I agree with you, Tashe. Like once I got locks, it was like, it was over from there. Like I remember when I first got them, I was afraid to like show them at work and I worked in ag and I was the only black woman in ag in Wichita, Kansas. So like there was all these like, okay, I'm working in ag, people aren't gonna accept my hairstyle. And then like one day I just was with my supervisor and my coworker and I said, do y'all understand? I got a code switch to come up in this office. I have to be a completely different person than who I am. And this lady had the audacity to tell me what well, we all have to code switch to a, t a certain extent. And I said, no, you don't, because you don't have to worry about if you have braids and someone going to come touch your hair and be like, oh, your hair's so soft. How did it get so long overnight? No, Becky, please. No, please don't. Don't touch my hair. And it took so long for me to just be like, listen, I have locks and I love my locks. And some days y'all going to get it where it's 
pre-twisted and it looks nice. Some days y'all gonna maybe get the nappy-headed stepchild look, but whatever I give you is what you gonna get. But at the same time, it's also been about my clothing too. So as a bigger black woman, we're always, we were always taught you have to be put together. You have to dress to the T, to the nine, to be the best. And some days I do not feel like coming into work and being dressed to the nine. Some days you may catch me in some leggings that look like professional wear pants and a t-shirt because that's what I feel like wearing. That's what I feel is comfortable to me. So really being able to express myself however I want to. If it's my hair may, I'm in this stage of the locks where some of them stick up and they don't want to go down no matter how much water and oil I put on them all day. They just want to do what they want to do. But being comfortable with that, being comfortable to where sometimes I don't want to have to code switch and I shouldn't have to code switch to make you feel comfortable because you can't handle the truth. So liberation to me isn't just just one thing. It's multiple things of how I show up, you know, being able to speak my mind and not care if you like it or not. Like that's not got anything to do with me. Sorry if I hurt your feelings, but really not sorry. So, yeah. Can I add one more thing before y'all go on? And I, I just want to note that um, I feel like it's important to, you know, explore what, like, liberation means to us and as it regards to, like, pride in Juneteenth because, like, we all know this is Diaries of a Black Girl in Foster Care. So I want to thank y'all for sharing y'all perspectives. But we might have, like, young people who are currently in foster care and identify as LGBTQ plus youth or um, just black girls in general. And I think it's important to, you know, hear hear these things so that um, every day they can take steps towards, you know, being liberated in their own right and expressing themselves how they feel comfortable to. Yeah, I know. I love Absolutely. that. I love that. And I also love the spirit of just um, where everyone is coming from in terms of like liberation. And so for me, one of the things I think about when it comes to liberation is sort of uh, having boundaries, but with no bounds. And so what I mean by that is I remember a, a time in my life uh, when I didn't feel liberated. And um, growing up uh, as a plus size person, I remember not really being able to fit into um, standardized clothing. So I had to go to, over to the men's section and find clothing uh, because I had breasts and I had a butt. And that's still true today. And so for me, um, I found that it was always difficult to find clothing that sort of fit my body type. And um, so I grew up um, feminine presenter, but also kind of like a tomboy. And um, I just remember um, one of the ways that I wanted to express myself uh, was through my clothing, uh, because I like I always was the one that was stealing my brother's clothing, uh, sneaking through his room and uh, taking the sweatpants and his uh, sweatshirts. That was my thing. And so being able to find something that sort of fit my style was something that I was going for. So when I mentioned to you all that I came out specifically in New York, what I mean by that, it was like a process. But so for me, when I came out in New York, I came out in terms of what I wore. So I started to dress more masculine presenting. And for me, that was something that was liberating for myself because I grew up, um, like I said, I grew up Christian and I grew up with this idea that, um, you had to wear certain things. You had to wear, you had to always be dressed up. Like Alexandria shared, you always had to sort of be on the nine or on the T's. And so for me, part of me was sort of reveling against the idea that um, I actually couldn't come as I was. And so for me, 
coming up and showing up um, in my clothing, uh, the way that I the way that I like to dress um, was something that was liberating. I will say that it still hasn't been easy because today to this day, I still wear uh, masculine presented clothing, meaning I wear men's clothing. And as someone that has breast and a butt, um, that's something that's not very accommodating um, in men's clothing. And so I struggle with finding out and trying to figure out um, what to do in those spaces. So I have to find um, means and ways of doing that in how I am. And so I would say that for me, liberation is something that's ever evolving. Um, for me, it's something that I want to continue to push um, against because I think that for um, people who identify as plus size, um, it's really hard. And if you are trying to express yourself in a way that's liberating um, through the means of clothing, we have to also be liberating in that respect. And so I think for our young, for our young kids, um, our young uh, adults um, who are sort of going through this process now, I will say that it has um, definitely evolved um, over time. But there's still more work to do. And if you are someone that has that grew, that grew up in foster care or is in foster care, um, and you know we get that clothing allowance. Sometimes it's still difficult. So I think as uh, foster parents, as care, as caregivers, as resource parents, we have to be mindful in sort of how we are really making sure that our young people um, are liberated to the best extent possible. Absolutely. Uh, for me, I would say there's um, different pieces of my identity as I would think that that's everybody's experience, right? There's different pieces of our identity where we may be more expressive than others. And so for me in navigating that I'm a very multifaceted being, I enjoy politics, but I also really enjoy art and my creative side and balancing those different aspects, as well as embracing certain aspects in different seasons of my life. Um, that's been a journey of uh, freedom for myself and feeling most authentic in those seasons of life. And I've also challenged a lot of the different layers of what makes my identity as a, as a black woman, do I always need to be resilient and put myself in spaces where I need to be strong and all these different narratives that I've learned about had to experience and watch um, older black women have to take on, um, which then kind of ripples into health issues and other things. So how do I break free from what that label even means and how, what and how I've seen it portrayed in the past? And then the layer of being a woman and, you know, all these other different things that society puts on just being a woman. And for me, what's been most empowering and freeing is, is um, embracing my femininity um, and also being able to play around in my tomboyish ways as well. So there's always this duality and expression of myself. And there's not just one aspect of who I'm supposed to show up as, as a woman. I get to define that for myself. And then the foster care layer of trauma, you know, what does that look like to be free from my trauma? How would I show up? How would I express myself if I didn't have that layer or that lingering idea of foster care and the experiences that I had leading up and in foster care. Um, and also, which was very interesting that I wanted to bring up was being a married woman at that. And 
the different things that people box you in as being a married woman that you need to follow behind your husband. These are, you know, these different aspects that are actually very oppressive. Um, a lot of times I remember the first time that I, um, the first few weeks that I was, um, after my wedding and people said things to me like, well, I guess your life is over and you're not going to be traveling anymore because you're married. And it just really, really bothered me because I was just like, like, how does that change like my ambition and my dreams and my joy because of my relationship status? Um, so I have <laughs> over the years continuously pushed back and continue to travel solo or with my husband and other things. And I think that's a whole other piece as well is really looking at in what ways can you free yourself more and in what ways is society or these different layers of what society has said um, is what determines who you are and pushing back and, and thinking for yourself about what that really means for you, how that really resonates with you or doesn't and being able to really slowly or quickly um, own that. And from what I heard from all the other panel mates as well is that, you know, you get to decide that self-expression. You get to, um, whether that is with a flag or, you know, with how you share and how you show up in the world. So I think for me, that's definitely been a, a crazy experience and I'm still unfolding and healing from a lot of the narratives that end up being very oppressive and kind of boxing who we are as human beings, which is multifaceted, which is complex as well. And um, just an enjoyable human experience in that. So with that, I want to pass it over to Amani. Yeah, as I say, I love what everyone is sharing. Thank you so much for uh, your openness. And so as we talk about our next question, we're going to talk about what are some of the challenges that LGBTQ plus A youth face in the system? What are some outcomes that can happen if foster youth or those involved in foster care aren't able to express their identity? And anybody can jump off. So I think that um, some of the challenges is, even though we look at how far we come, like with Pride Month and we see all these corporations, you know, jumping on the bandwagon, we still have some of those traditional religious beliefs that can really hinder and cause LGBT youth to suffer if their parents aren't accepting or um, and how they like their gender expression or identity or sexual orientation. And um, a recent study even showed that 30% of LGBT youth uh, report suffering physical violence at the hands of their family members after coming out. And so when I think of the grand scheme of things, say you have a, a youth who um, identifies as LGBTQ+, and then they end up in the foster care system, that's another layer of um, hardship that they may be facing. Yeah, I love that you say that. You know, I thought it was interesting too when I was doing some research about um, the LGBTQ youth, um, I was pretty actually taken back. I was talking uh, to Angela about this, that um, I didn't recognize that actually um, many of the youth that come into the system, like you mentioned, 
have come to the system because they have not been accepted by their family members. And so that to me was um, pretty much a shock. And um, I think that other challenges, like you said, with the whole religious um, respect to that is that when we have policies that are in place that continue to oppress people from being able to um, identify and fully liberate in that experience, that then that then sort of impacts uh, the young person that's um, in their home. And so if you have someone that's not even um, a foster parent or a caregiver who has, you know, quote unquote, willingly taken in a child, but has these beliefs that they believe that um, being gay is a quote unquote sin, that just continues to enhance the struggles and the challenges that these young people face. And uh, we also know that there is a huge rise of um, LGBTQ plus A young people who are taking their lives uh, because they're not being accepted. I think one of the biggest challenges that we see with youth in foster care is when they're aging out, there's a lot more young people who are homeless. Um, we have a lot of young people who turn to sex work, so sex trafficking, all those different things. We also see that they have um, higher placements. So we have young people who are placed in placements at a higher rate um, because people don't want to take in a young person who's a part of the LGBT community, which is problematic in itself. And you should not be a foster parent if you don't want to love all young people. And I said what I said, and I will say it again. Um, we also see that there's not a lot of services or programs for these young people um, when they're in the system just because they are LGBTQ, which again is problematic. And if you have an issue with young people who are part of the LGBT community, you need you need to get some some type of help um, because these are kids and they deserve love no matter their their sexual orientation or their gender expression. So those are some of the issues that I've seen as someone who works in the system and advocates and things like that, that there's not a lot of resources and whether you are in foster care or not, there tends not to be enough resources or enough protection for, for young people. Yeah, for me, I got a lot of those religious comments when I came out, I remember my foster father at the time telling me that I was gonna have to go to battle with God. And then we just had this huge conversation about just how much of a sin it is. And I remember, I have a picture of it just bawling that night, just my mental health just being shook by that comment. It still comes to my mind to this day thinking about, oh, you're gonna have to go to battle with God. And just that image of what that looks like to me. And it just affected my religious journey too. Just the different layers that come with that because entering foster care alone, that's trauma. But when you add on this experience of someone that's supposed to protect you and make you feel safe is the one that's making you feel like you don't belong. That's another layer of trauma that's added onto that. If you don't feel supported by people after you haven't already been supported by your biological family or whoever you were staying with at that time. And it really does just affect your mental health and something that you have to continue to peel back even after you're in the system. Kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, just thinking on like how we feel liberated or how we express that liberation. Imagine being um, in foster care and knowing like how you want to express yourself, but not being able to, you're going to suffer. Like you're not going to be happy. And that suffering can lead to, you know, higher suicidal um, rates and 
things that we don't want to see happen, all because they're they aren't love being loved on or put in a position where they can express themselves. Ultimately, the thing is suffering. Yeah, I like that you all um, put that out. Um, I think even just thinking about my experience of uh, before I came, I think I went. I experienced so much suffering, internal suffering. Um, I remember when I went. Um, to San Francisco for the first time to do my social work practicum. And, you know, my church family and others, I went to a Christian college and they were like, you know, don't come back gay. And um, I remember going to uh, Glide Memorial, which was which is the um, largest social um, service foundation in San Francisco. And I went to a church service on Sunday and I remember seeing black, um, gay and trans people in the choir. And I remember feeling so guilty sitting in the audience, like feeling so heavy but seeing them in the choir with their hands raised, looking free as ever, and that was something that I just couldn't understand. And so for me, I remember just um, all those times I spent um, you know, in my room just crying and praying the gay away and all of that stuff and nothing happened. And um, I think that it becomes very much um, torturous when you, um, we talk about how words have power and we talk about how words have meaning and how they have impact. And we also talk about how sticks and stones don't break our bones. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words may never hurt. And that's the biggest lie that's ever been told because words actually do hurt and words seep. And so it's not necessarily um, the actions, but it's the words that I had to sort of continue to play over and over in my mind. And I think as somebody who's young, sometimes you're not able to differentiate between sometimes what an adult is saying, uh, between what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And it just can become very tumultuous. And so I think that it's very, very important that as adults, um, as caregivers, and even as peers, that we are very mindful of how we're talking, what we're saying, the words that we're using. Um, sometimes we say things that we don't mean them, but you have to also understand that intention versus impact are two different things. And so even though you may have not intended to hurt, um, your words hurt and the impact of your words have hurt. And now I have to go through life suffering through that. And so I feel like as an adult, one of the things that I've struggled with is that being someone that grew up in foster care, I didn't get a chance to necessarily stroke. I didn't get a chance to really like uh, think about what it meant to be black, what it meant to be gay, because I was so focused on surviving. So for me, as an older, as a young adult um, and growing up, that's some of the things I had to sort through. And so thinking back to the words that adults said to me, those things carry with you. And so for me, I think it's just really, really important how we say things, what we say, and really thinking about our internal motives. Um, if you wouldn't say it to yourself, and even if you did say it to yourself, you got to take a step back and to really think about how your words can create and cause harm. And so I really appreciate that you all have just shared um, just your experiences because we know that young people are listening today and um, they need to know that they're seen, that they're validated and that who they are and what they embody is okay. Absolutely. What I would add on to that is for everyone listening today that is thinking about becoming a foster parent or engaging with LGBTQ plus A folks is how 
could you support and facilitate that healing journey as well as be a safe space um, or create safe spaces for folks that identify as LGBTQ plus A. Um, we're all human. We need a space <laughs> to just be. And it's, it's almost like daunting that even that piece is continuously lost or confused or it's not common sense. Um, so I just challenge you all from the things that our panelists have shared to really look at yourself and look at your inner beliefs and see if they really are helpful <laughs> or are they more so damaging to young people's self-esteem and well-being. So with that, um, how does being LGBTQ plus A affect specifically black and brown youth? I think when we think about black and brown youth in foster care who identify as LGBTQ plus A, we have to look at it from an intersectionality lens. So not only are they um, identifying as black and brown, but they're also a part of another subgroup, LGBTQ plus A. And um, I think we're just now getting to the part, point when it comes to child welfare that we're acknowledging different subgroups and it is coming from being a hidden demographic coming into light. And so I say that because Though intersectionality tells us that both of these subgroups um, face disparities, the research and data isn't truly there, is it is in the making. And so, um, like we know that we talk about adultification a lot on here for like black girls, some of the you know hardships. We know that black children um, have longer wait times within the foster care system. So I don't I think when we're thinking about the impact, we have to look at it from an intersectionality lens. So acknowledging some of the hardships from the LGBTQ plus youth may face, but also the black and brown. And we think about that, we're literally leaving these youth who identify as both in a very vulnerable state. I can go real quick. So one of my last placements, I was actually with a Caucasian family and that's the family that I came out to. And I remember what she said to me and it shook me because she said, I don't want your life to be hard. And of course she's never gonna understand the hardships that already came from being a black woman, but it just kind of made me laugh because she had never said any of that when I was in interracial relationships. And that already adds a different layer of being hard. So that's when I knew, I'm like, no, there's just some homophobia that's there. And there was just this conversation where she was trying to make it sound right, but through that, it just sounded so wrong. I got where she was trying to come from, but it just felt like she was trying to change who I was with the excuse that she doesn't want my life to be hard when regardless, my life's been hard. My life's going to be hard. So I think in the system, there are going to be people that don't do it right. I mean, nobody's perfect. But also, like Amani was saying, you have to process your words before you're telling them to someone, especially someone in the foster care system. Because we overthink. 
we ruminate on things. That's just what happens when you are based with trauma. It's a trauma response. So whenever you're going to someone and you want to have a conversation, because it's a big thing. I mean, your identity is a big thing and it's okay to sit down and talk about that. But what are the words that you're using to communicate that you care about someone? Because telling me that I shouldn't be a certain way that I am because my life's going to be hard. That's not, that's not the way to do what you're trying to do. There's a different way to go about that. Um, so I think it was just really hard because I do have those different identities of being a woman, being black and being a part of that community. Um, so there is just layers of trauma that are added to it when you're a part of so many different things and so many different communities that in societal's eyes are not accepted. I'm so sorry, I keep popping in here, but Courtney made me think of something. Um, I remember listening to Alexandria talk on a uh, briefing that we did and she talked about how we have to acknowledge um, youth in foster care as a whole human, a whole being. And I think one of the most problematic things about youth in foster care is sometimes we have the foster parents, we have the caseworkers, and we have all these um, moving pieces around them thinking that they know best for the child, but also not seeing them as whole. And so in general, you know, you often hear like younger people coming out and it's like, oh, they're just going through a phase. And I think that is another problematic thing is because we're not seeing them as whole humans. And so when you add those different intersectionalities, I'm keep going back to that. It really is harmful. So we really have to listen to what youth are saying. If they say they identify this way or this is their sexual orientation, that would, that's what it is. And it's not up for you to challenge that or, you know, add commentary like Courtney said her foster dad did. It's up for to you to support them and do what's in the best interest for them. I absolutely agree, Toshe. And I think one thing that people also have to remember is like you have to think about what are teens typically going through? when they're 13, 10, 11, 12 to 19. Their brain's not fully developed till 25. Let's remember that. Is they're going through learning their identity, figuring out their values. So if we're not thinking about, okay, this person is figuring out their identity, as we keep saying, intersexual, oh, sorry, I don't say the word right, so I ain't even gonna try. Um, <laughs> but you got your race, you got your culture, you got your gender, you have your gender expression, you have your sexual orientation, you have your nationality because race and nationality are two completely different things, but we like to mix them up together. And that's a whole topic for another day. But that's all a part of building somebody's identity. And if we take that away from youth and care, especially youth who are part of the LGBT community, they never get that chance. And then they're trying to figure it out when they're adults when being a teenager is supposed to be the safest time for you to figure it out. That's when you're supposed to be able to be like, okay, maybe I like little boys and maybe I like little girls or maybe I like everybody. I mean, who you like is who you like at the end of the day. I mean, somebody used to tell me all the time if, which I know the other co-hosts are gonna tell me not to say the words, but if you ain't paying my bills, you ain't doing some stuff, it's none of your business. It is none of your business. No, I agree with you. Who somebody goes home to is none of your business. And if you got an issue with that, I need you to look deep inside your soul and realize you are the problem. You are a problem in this world and you need to go to therapy and you need to get some help. 
Yeah, I love that you said that, Alex, especially um, a lot of times I find that people don't um, look within and you really need to look within. And what you said is that being a teenager is supposed to be one of the safest times for you to really express and to show and to understand your identity. And I think that oftentimes people forget that. People forget what it looks like and, and remembering what it was like to be a teenager. And so I think that this moves um, really smoothly back into, you know, what does true allyship look like? Um, and not just what does true allyship look like between the system, bio families, caregivers, staff, and agencies, but what does allyship look like within yourself? I think that we have to start there. And if we start there, I think that we would be able to really truly understand um, not just our own wholeness, but the wholeness of others. So I'm going to leave you all off with that to sort of state what does allyship look like? What would you what would you all have liked it to look like um, as somebody who's black, as somebody who's queer, um, as somebody who um, encompasses all different types of identities? What is what? How would you how do you want to be um, supported? I think sometimes in, in our society, if it's not happening in our own backyard, we don't tend to it. If it doesn't directly impact us or we're not the ones hindered by, you know, some of these legislation policies and things that we're seeing happening, then we're not concerned. And I think as an ally, we're holding space for, you know, the community, even when they're not present or behind closed doors, um, when we're at certain tables, we're making sure that they're seen and counted on. Um, for example, like I, I know I've been in spaces where we're looking at surveys about identity, but I'm like, how are we looking at identity if we're not accounting for LGBTQ plus a youth? Like, how is this encompassing, um, you know, identity if they're not even present or showing up so you have to be bold and using like your privilege to show up from others even though it may not seem that um this is impacting you in the in the back door because either way you might not see it but indirectly we all are impacted by by this so i know yesterday courtney and i went to went to dinner um and something I said, you know, like we always want to talk about like, I'm an ally, I'm an ally. Um, and I truly believe that you can't say you're an ally unless somebody gives that to you. Um, because I can say I'm an ally, but what do I do behind closed doors? Do I sit here on this podcast and pretend I'm down for the community, but I'm not doing nothing for the community. I'm not reaching back in the words of one of my mentors, Danielle Johnson. She always says, if you're the only person in that room who's black, brown, part of the LGBT community, make sure you pull somebody else up that's behind you. So if I'm in that, if I'm in this space and I'm not pulling nobody else up, how am I saying I'm an ally? So when I think about being an ally and what allyship looks like is, I feel like you got to be willing to, to be down for the cause. You know, if I'm getting pulled over and a policeman got a gun to my head, is you going to jump out the car and stand between me and the policeman? It, is you really down for the cause or are you just you talking about it? Are you about it, about it or are you not? Are you going to make sure that there's people at that table who represent that community? Are you going to make sure that it ain't just talk? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can we how can we move from this of just saying, well, I'm an ally and I share on social media? No. But are you talking to people? Are you in those rooms? Are you making sure? that people are there in those rooms that are not represented. 
just like Tasha said, we talked about identity, but people who are part of the LGBT community ain't even there. So how are you going to talk about identity if you ain't got nobody there? Like that's allyship is making sure you advocating and activating things for people who aren't in those rooms and making sure, okay, I'm at this meeting and I want you to come with me next time. I'm the only millennial in here and a room for the old people. We need more millennials. That's allyship to me because that's showing I care about you, 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 and y'all futures. Not just, oh, okay, I do this and I'm going to say I do this. But yeah, that's, I'm going to get off. Can we know that Alexander just said about about it? I just had, I was triggered by that. <laughs> to my fighting thing. She said about about it. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to show up as my authentic self. That's what this podcast is about. So. I mean, I said some other things yesterday at dinner that I know y'all are not going to want me to say. So I changed what I said. So. We love it. Does anybody else want to share? I mean, I think both of y'all hit it right on the nail. It's about showing up and supporting people even when they're not in the room. Um, and when it specifically comes to being in the foster care system and having that support from the system and bio families, I think it's making sure that the foster youth is getting the resources that they need. I also in Alexandria this a while ago, I didn't even know there was a foster care bill of rights for kids. I didn't know that that existed. There are so many people in care that don't even know what their rights are. It's because they don't have that proper allyship and those people advocating for them to know that those resources are there right in the open, right in front of them. So I think it's those people that are going to speak up and speak out for you to make sure that you get what you need and what you deserve because the system's hard. It's messy. It's, I mean, y'all can attest it's messy. And a lot of people don't understand just how messy it is. So making sure that people are advocating that you're communicating with your caseworkers, that they're not just making you seem like another number, another case and they're overload, you know? So that's what allyship is just all around. It's making sure that you have people that are going to have your back regardless of if you're right in front of them or if you're in a different room. I would just add as well, um, being open to being educated and um, the willingness to learn um, things that you may not have, quote unquote, traditionally uh, been raised on or thought <laughs> thought through. Um, it's definitely I, I have I come from a background of very Catholic and Christian as well. So there's a lot of things that I've over the years learned about and have kind of released um, as doesn't really connect with me or this idea of freedom. So just thinking of that in relation to bio families, caregivers, staff, and agencies, the system at large, um, really recognizing in what ways can you be educated, in what ways um, what are the things that you don't know so you can best support and asking more questions um, not to be facetious or <laughs> um, antagonizing, but actually to, to learn to know and find different ways and better ways even to love and show up for those that you claim to be allies for. Yeah, I love that you said that, um, especially because um, even just the process of unlearning, you know, I know that uh, for many of us who have grown up in um, toxic, chaotic um, environments, there are things that we've learned that 
as you get older, you have an opportunity to sort of unlearn those things. And so I know for me, um, growing up, I was taught um, that being um, gay um, was something that was bad, that was a sin. And so I began to internalize that and I began to believe that. And so what that ended up doing for me was I ended up beginning to hate myself. And so I think that as I begin to learn and educate that I'm recognizing that there's so there's, there's, there's such a huge world out there that we don't even know of, so expansive, so wide. And being able to have conversations like this with all of you all help us to be able to understand and to learn um, new and exciting and also uncomfortable things. And so I just wanna thank you all for um, just sharing that perspective because um, to our viewers and to those who are listening, um, you know, we're all in this and we're all learning. And um, not sure if any of you all have learned or even know that on Wednesday, June 15th, President Biden, as we talk about allyship, this is a step towards allyship. Uh, President Biden signed the executive order on advancing um, equity for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex individuals. Um, and it was a detailed um, government-wide commitment from the Biden administration to address uh, disproportionate outcomes that impact the health, safety, and well-being of LGBTQ plus I individuals. And so as we talk about what it means to continue to support and advocate and advance uh, the mission, the well-being, the health and safety of uh, LGBTQ plus um, individuals, we have to think about what that means for young people in foster care. Uh, we have to think about brown and black young people in foster care who are also then even more disproportionate. So I just wanna thank you all um, for that. I wanna turn it over to Angela. Um, I know that there's just many resources out there. As we mentioned, you know, it's a short amount of time. So there's only so much that we can get to, um, but I wanna turn it over to you, Angela, to be able to share in some of those resources uh, so that our community can know how to continue to better educate themselves in this process as we celebrate not just Pride Month, but Juneteenth and liberation. And even though it's just for the month of June, we know that we're liberated every day. And so I turn it over to you. Yeah, I know we're going to be dropping them in the chat because they are links. But um, also uh, our co-moderator for today has an amazing book, You Are the Prize, Seeing Yourself Beyond the Imperfections of Your Trauma. That's um, book up. <laughs> You know how I am, Moni. You know how I am. And my book, The Black Foster Youth Handbook, 50 Plus Lessons I Learned to Successfully Age Out of Foster Care. Okay, with the copy on hand. Yes, um, no, for I learned real, because, no, for real, because when Courtney um, ever mentioned, I had this on hand from the very beginning, but when Court, Courtney mentioned the fact that uh, she was not aware that uh, there was even a Foster Youth Bill of Rights, this is the reason why this book is important. You get what I'm saying? So I have this here. I have this on deck at all times. So the new Bible. <laughs> I appreciate you. Yes. Um, you can get both books on Amazon. Um, you can find it on Barnes and Noble. And as I shared, there are tons of resources and links in the chat as well. We just want to say thank you so much for everyone that has tuned in here today and listening later. Um, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, 
Twitter and all places where podcasts are listened to at Diaries of Black Girl Diaries FC. And um, yeah, we're excited to continue the conversation. This is the end of season one, but the beginning of something so exciting and beautiful. And yeah, if anyone else has any lasting remarks. I have one thing to say about the um, foster care bill of rights. So the not everywhere has a foster care bill of rights. The state of Kansas has a foster care bill of rights. Um, so I don't want any kids listening on here to think that every state has one um, because not every state may have one. I do know that the state of Kansas has one and they are currently working on re-putting it back through legislation so it can become law. Um, so every kid in care will know about those rights. Um, I can't speak to every state, but I can say the state of Kansas has one. Um, and then also just want to say thank you guys for tuning into our first season. Um, and thank you, Tasha, for presenting this idea to me and letting me just be like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and you being on board and trusting that I was like, not cuckoo and pushing you to do this. So yeah, thank you for for doing this. Yeah, I was just going to thank everybody, especially like our co-hosts, hosts, and everybody that has been a, a part of this. We kind of started like, okay, we're just going to have a podcast, but we're definitely seeing this is space that is needed. And it's something so special about being able to come in community, but hold space for Black girls who have experienced foster care all throughout the United States. Um, I don't know about you all, but when I was in care, I didn't have like that community. So um, I'm just so grateful for you all just being here and just the opportunity to share space. And it's something that is sacred to me and that I don't take for granted. And I'm just excited for what is to come um, and where we're going. So I'm just thankful to everybody. I'm thankful for the people that is actually listening. It feels good to hear about people listening to the podcast. Like, wow, people actually listen to this. So um, yeah, I'm just thankful. That That's that's where I'm at right now. Just very thankful. Yeah. And thank you to Courtney for um, showing up today and being a guest. Uh, we really appreciate you um, sharing your perspective uh, sharing your advocacy, continue to keep it going. And um, thank you to Angela um, for co-hosting with me. Thank you to um, Tasha and Alexandria and also Casey, um, just for your dedication and your hard work through this process. Um, I cannot believe we are um, finished with season one and um, the best is yet to come. So thank you. Yes, and with that, we are out.